Chris Jackson is best known for his work with R&B legends like Cheryl Cole, Tank, and Tony Braxton. He calls himself an introvert by nature, but get him in the studio, and his goal is to have fun and make great music. He's a believer in chemistry in the songwriting process, the idea that two people writing together come up with something greater than themselves, and it shows in his success. His mentality has landed him co-writing credits in many different genres of music and has helped launch an artist project of his own. Chris joins us today on this episode of The Big Break. I grew up in Andover, Massachusetts, which is about like 25 minutes north of Boston. I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger, starting like middle school. I started off as like the class clown and, you know, just became like a, a little nuisance around the school. And that, that turned into, you know, eighth grade, freshman year, I started to drink and do drugs and started getting a lot of trouble with my parents and I would run away a lot. And it turned to, it got to a point where, you know, I, I was so lost and disconnected that I just didn't care about anything. And, you know, I told my parents, I was like, I don't care if I die tomorrow. Like, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to anyone. I'm doing what I want. And, uh, and they gave me an ultimatum. They're like, all right, like, if that's going to be the case, then, you know, you can either, you know, go to this, this boarding school, which is kind of like a, almost like a military school, or you can be homeless. And, uh, I thought about it for a few days and, hmm. and then I chose to chose to go to the boarding school and, and at the boarding school, the whole, the whole premise of the school was to, to work on your character and look inward and see what uh, things in your past had kind of led to the struggles you're having today. And through that process, like I, we had these seminars where we'd sit down with like six, seven students and a couple teachers and, and we, you know, kind of, go into like our deep struggles and emotions and I just didn't really like talking about them with other people um but then when I would go back to my dorm at night I would sit there and I just start writing about it and uh and rewind a little bit you know in in starting in middle school I started messing around with my friends in like the lunchroom and at football games I would I would freestyle and just like say the most ridiculously inappropriate stuff <laughs> and uh and it became a thing, and I got pretty good at it. And, uh, you know, I would, I would do it at football games. There'd be a group of people around me, and I would just go in. I'd make fun of people. People would try to battle me. I would, I would destroy them. And, uh, and so I brought that into to my boarding school, and um, my homie, Warren Dorr, who his, uh, his rap name back then was J-Fax, he saw that, like, potential in me. He had been rapping for a while. He was a dope rapper from D.C., and 
um, he's like, man, like, let me, let me teach you some of these things. And so we would stay up late at night, you know, in the dorm, pass lights out and, uh, we'd have our shirts off. I'd be getting all sweaty, all amped up, rapping over a beat and just like start spitting so hard, like pounding my chest. And, uh, and he would coach me through, yo, like that was great. How you used, you know, this rhyme here, but like the syllable count, like didn't make sense over here. And it just, it, it became a thing. And then we were like, man, let's start writing songs together. And those songs ended up, you know, for me being, you know, as cliche as it sounds like the, the, the big outlet and my savior with all the struggles I was going through. And, uh, and I became obsessed. And then when my senior year came around, I had done an extra year. So I was in my fifth year, but I finished all my credits. So I put together a senior project and, uh, my friend, Dylan McDonald and I, Dylan's father was Michael McDonald. He and I put together a tour of different boarding schools in New England and ended up uh, doing like, I think it was like around eight or nine shows uh, over like a two month span. And that was when I got the, the, the itis for it, man. And I haven't looked back. So like what kind of shows were you doing just like all original stuff? Were you doing like covers and what, what were the, you know, content of the shows? Yeah, it was, uh, from what I remember, it was like it was all original songs. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and they were at like different boarding schools around the around New England. So like some of them were for you know like we'd play in like the cafeteria, and some of them were like set up outside. And uh, yeah, it was a trip, man. So what were you learning? Like your friend that had some experience um, with music, and you know you talked about syllables, and you know how that how the uh, kind of the not necessarily the math of it, but how it all fits together. Like, did you learn more um, kind of like that soft music theory from him? Uh, music theory didn't come from him. I took, I took music classes at the school and I actually, okay. I became pretty close with my music teacher. And, uh, and it was nice cause Mike, Michael McDonald donated his, uh, his B studio to the school. So we had like a pretty nice setup in the music department and uh, I was able to, you know, get close enough with the music teacher and build trust with him where he would actually give me the keys to go into the studio and we were able to record at night. And that was my senior year. We recorded uh, my first album. We called it Graduation. We ended up getting actually a lot in a lot of trouble uh, for it at the end of the year because we sold it at our graduation. And we had like all these songs called like Blunt Style and shit that was just like all inappropriate. And we got pulled aside by the teachers. But it was dope because we made like, I want to say like six, seven hundred bucks graduation day. And that obviously went to uh, all the fun perks after you graduate. Yeah. And so you can be like, so at that point you were kind of realizing that people, you know, want to pay, pay money for, uh, you know, your, your music. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that all of a sudden gets addicting when something you create that's just true to who you are can actually generate income. Yeah, definitely. I can, I can see how that's the case. Cool. What happened after graduation? Uh, after graduation, I actually went to uh, Colorado for school uh, in Greeley. And uh, while I was there, I cleaned up my act a pretty good amount my, my senior year at, at my boarding school. And the one tough thing about it, though, was the boarding school, we were so sheltered. So we had a schedule. You know, We woke up at 6.30 in the morning. We had to shower, and then we had to clean our rooms and have room inspection. And then that schedule went throughout the whole day with sports and study hall and all that stuff. So we didn't really have time to make mistakes or, you know, do dumb things. And so after I left the boarding school and all of a sudden I'm in college and I'm in a dorm and I can basically do whatever I want, you know, that, 
that came back out again. And uh, I started partying all the time, drinking, using drugs. And I met a guy there that I'd uh, regularly do drugs with. And he, uh, he fell in love with my music. He actually went to, uh, he went to Columbine back in the day and his, his sister uh, was there during um, the Columbine shooting. And the reason why I say that is because I had a song off my, the album that I made in, in boarding school that was called Wounded Soldiers and it was about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So this guy heard the song and it just, it really hit home with them through, you know, what happened at Columbine. And he was like, he, he ended up leaving um, near the end of the school year. And uh, he hit me up one day. He was like, yo, like I moved down to Denver. Things are going really well for me. You should, uh, you should come down here. I want to manage you and take care of you. I'll put you up and all that. And, uh, you know, at the time I didn't really have the greatest head on my shoulders. So that type of opportunity was like, great, like leave school. I get to go do music and I have a manager and I don't have to pay rent. So it just kind of all fell in place and I did it. And what I didn't really understand was part of my deal with him was he was one of the biggest drug dealers in Denver. And, mm. uh, so I'd be, I basically became, you know, first I just kind of went around with him to, you know, all the all the places he distributed and then like the, like the boss, like we were up in uh man, what's that place called? It's uh it's like the private golf course, like past Littleton. Um, mm-hmm. There's a private golf course in the Hills up there. And like, we went, I hope, I hope I don't get uh, taken out for saying this stuff on the podcast, but uh, we went up to this dude's house, like huge mansion on the private golf course. And uh, this dude was like the kingpin of like the cocaine game and uh, in Colorado. And man, I was so, you know, just I, I was the kid with like long hair brought a guitar everywhere I went I was smoking weed every five minutes like I, I was just oblivious to all this stuff and not really understanding what I was getting into in the circumstances you know and so that turned into me starting to to move stuff for him and so I started driving from like Denver to Montana with like ten fifteen thousand dollars worth of, of stuff in the trunk and uh and then going up there, getting rid of it, and then going in the studio and working with, in the studio and, you know, thinking it was, that was, that was hip hop. You know, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm actually living the hip hop lifestyle, but never really like put thought into the repercussions if anything ever, you know, if I ever got caught. And uh, so that happened for like six months. And then I kind of woke up from it one day. I, I lost a couple of friends who, who took their own lives and uh, they were in the same game. And I was like, man, like I, I can't be doing this. You know, I kind of went back to the, the things I learned at my boarding school and I stepped back and I was like, man, I, I need to get myself out of this situation. So I, uh, I got out of it and moved out of Littleton and moved to Cherry Hills village and with a friend that I actually went to the boarding school with and started to clean up my act and things got better. Like I started a band in Denver and we started to do pretty well there. And, uh, and then one day I was just like, man, I got to go back to new England. I miss being with my family. I was in new England for a few years, moved to Sweden and then ended up in Nashville like seven years ago. So it seems like a pretty momentous decision to, to kind of realize that this is not the life you want to be leading. So like, what was the, like, what was on the other side of that for you? Was it just like, I don't really know what's next, but I can't be doing this. Yeah. I just knew that that lifestyle was going to either kill me or put me in prison. Mm. And, um, and I knew that, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play music. Like I had something to say and I had, I had something special that, you know, people connected to. So I knew that, you know, 
being in that that game wouldn't help achieve the goal I had was to you know become a full time musician and uh, and so really you know that was it was a simple headspace of like I just got to get out of this and I'll figure out what I'm doing once you know I just remove myself from the situation. But that entire time you were like still making music and experimenting and learning new things, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was I was writing the whole time and I, like I said I brought my guitar every place we went and like dealt to people. We'd like deal to them. They'd start using the drugs and I'd play them a song. And it was like, it was actually a great uh, kid. Kids don't do this, but <laughs> it actually like worked well because, you know, obviously they'd get high and then be like, wow, this dude's really good. And I'd be like, yo, I have a, I have a show next week, downtown Denver. You should come. And they're like, dope. We'll be there. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, some, uh, a certain type of self-promotion, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, after you make that decision and move back to the, to the Northeast and you said you went to Sweden, what was that for? So my, uh, my brother's been living in Sweden now for, I want to say 15 years. He's the one who originally, like he was a musician when I was, you know, eight, nine years old, He's eight years older than me. He taught me how to play guitar. He taught me how to write my first song. So he, he moved to Sweden and he and I were working on an album together. And at one point he was like, why don't you just come here for a year and work on this with me? And it was pretty simple decision for me. I was like, go to Europe, work on music. Sounds great, man. I'll be there. Yeah, that's cool. So like, what, did you, what kind of music did you work on with him? Uh, we were doing, at the time I was doing mostly like acoustic based hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. So we, uh, we wrote about like, I want to say 15 songs together and uh and put together a project it ended up just being a like a three song ep and we never finished the other ones but uh but it was it was a lot of fun i got to to play shows in stockholm and um work with other artists and writers and it was a great experience overall and i've been back for shows a few times since then well that's cool yeah i love it over there so like more recently what have you been up to uh so moved to la a couple of weeks ago uh, from Nashville. I forgot about the move to Nashville. What uh, inspired that? Nashville. So actually when I was in Stockholm, um, the girl that I've been writing the majority of my songs with at the boarding school I went to, she moved down to Nashville. And I had only had one experience with Nashville. Um, every spring at my boarding school, they'd pick a group of music students to go down to Nashville and go around with Mike McDonald, um, John Hyatt, who's a great country singer as well, and Don Cook, who they all had kids that went to Hyde. So they, the three of them started a music program, which we would go down there and uh, we'd meet with, you know, different management companies. We went to CSAC and learned about, you know, royalties. And uh, then we got to go to the studio and work with them. And so during that time when I was there, when I was like 18, I fell in love with Nashville. And I was like, wow, this place is, and you know, it's cause we went, we were at all the places on music row and got to, you know, got to see the industry. I was like, wow, this is where the industry lives. And so when she was, when she was, we were doing like a Skype, right. And, uh, she was like, yo, you, you should come here after Stockholm. And I was like, cool, I'll be there. And so I ended up moving down there. Um, it was about seven years ago and, uh, man, it was such a reality check for me cause you know, we had been playing in like new england and like northern maine and playing for these bar crowds and just getting these great responses because you know there's not a a lot of artists you know playing out up in the 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 boondocks of maine Mm -hmm. and uh 
and then going going down to Nashville, where it was you know singer songwriter town, and it's crazy amount of talent there. It was a, it was a big it was a big eye opening experience for me, and it really forced me to not only like step up my game with you know my songwriting and my playing and performing, but also my my knowledge of the music business. And then that led to some some big opportunities uh, in Nashville for me. Yeah, yeah. The knowledge of the music business is is something that like definitely does not come with knowledge of music, right? Yeah. At least you got uh, you know the kind of the preview when you got when you went down there with the school and like seeing seeing how it works and kind of the big moving pieces. But uh, definitely moving to Nashville, I'm sure helped with like learning how it all works and how you know people make a living off of it, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I learned the ins and outs, you know, I took, you know, my goal, my goal there was to quote unquote, make it. So I took, you know, as many coffee meetings as I could with people I met, I played as many shows as I could. And I wrote with as many, you know, as many people that would write with me, I wrote with them. And that ended up, you know, paying off three years into being there, ended up connecting with this guy, Trey Bruce, very accomplished songwriter. His dad actually wrote, uh, wrote the song, uh, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Trey, you know, had written, he had produced a bunch of ZZ top and Leonard Skinner. And he had a couple number one country songs and he saw me play a show one time and the microphone went out on stage and I ended up throwing the mic down and just jumping on a table and, and, you know, just belting my rap out on the table to the crowd. And he saw that on his way out and he ended up staying and watching the whole show. Hmm. And he was like, Hey, listen, like, I love what you're doing. Like, I'd love to mentor you. And, uh, so he took me under his wing. And at the time the group I was in, it was with my girlfriend. So he took both of us under his wing and, and started mentoring us. And it was great. Like he got us, you know, we came to LA, you know, four or five years ago and we were in Malibu writing with people like Richard Marks and Victoria Horn. And it was, it was such an experience and really, you know, opened my eyes to the, the potential that I had in the business. And, uh, and then that led to, um, I got a call one day or actually I got a email and, uh, it's from this guy named Cliff Williamson. Uh, it was a very short email. He said, Hey Brian, love what you're doing. Come see us at starstruck sometime. And I was like, okay, cool. So I, I gave him a call and he's like, you know, country accent, Brian, like, we love what you're doing, man. Like, we want you to come in just talk to us, see what's going on. And so in my head, I was like, man, this is one of the, I looked up starstruck on, on the internet and it was like this one page, like .net website. And I was like, this is one of those scams. I'm going to go in and they're going to, you know, ask me for $10,000 and they'll make me famous in return. And, uh, so man, like I, I like rolled out of bed that morning and I almost didn't even, like, I almost just wore my sweats in there and just like, you know, it's like, fuck it. And, uh, and I ended up getting dressed and pulling into the parking lot. And as I'm walking from my car, like I, I look up from my phone and Reba McIntyre's right there, like sitting in the, the little garden area talking on the phone. I'm like, what, what is this place? And I look up and it's this really beautiful building Go in the lobby, huge lobby, like tall ceilings, three stories up. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh shit, man. Like I am not prepared for this. This is actually like a real meeting. And, uh, and so I Google, I start Googling more, you know, the guy's name and everything. And I find out, you know, this place is legit and, uh, they manage Blake Shelton and Kelly Clarkson. And I was like, Oh, so this, this meeting's actually is something that I need to actually, you know, take seriously. And so I ended up meeting the guy and he brought me into his office and he was basically like, listen, like came across one of your music videos. I love what you're doing. He's like, I love your sound. I love your message. We don't know how to work with you, 
but we just want to be in touch and figure this out. And that was kind of the brunt of our conversation. And from that, you know, I was like, okay, like this is an opportunity I can't miss out on. So I just started calling him once a week and just checking in. And every time I wrote a new song, I would send it to him. And uh, probably like seven, eight months into doing that, I finally got a call and brought me in. He's like, Brian, like we're ready for you. You know, we're starting the artist development side and, uh, and we want to sign you and, um, and sign me to management and the label artist development. And, uh, and that, you know, that was the big break. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. What, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what music industry web- websites can be deceiving. Cause like some of the most successful ones just like are, look like they're nothing and then like you know the least successful have like the nicest website so i know (laughs) um did you feel like you were like bugging them you know when you were sending them new tracks whenever you got a new song together or you were calling them whenever like did you feel like uh like i don't want to you know be too uh clingy or needy or anything like that yeah i did at first but then i realized you know they brought me in for the meeting yeah so they were they were interested in me and what could I lose? Right. You know, like they don't, they don't hit me back. I, I was selective, which, you know, with the tracks I sent them and all that, but I knew that, you know, if I, it, it's just, I learned it from my brother, man. It's like, if you're just relentless and, and you just show, you know, the drive and the, the passion that the, the, the true people who are aware to that and can, and can see it, they, they're going to, you know, invest in you and buy into you and um so i just i just put myself out there and and luckily it it paid off yeah i think that's an important lesson though because it seems like you know a lot of people don't want to be like the needy songwriter that's just trying to get get something or but it's like it's a it's a fact of life that you guess you have to do that in the industry it's like you have to be constantly reaching out to people and constantly hitting them up and constantly sending them stuff because there's so much noise out there right Absolutely. And, and people see that confidence too, you know, that, yeah. that shows that you believe in yourself and that, you know, you have something special and it's just a matter of time and someone's going to get lucky and, and make the choice to pick you up. And, uh, and so it was, it was simple for me. Like I knew that in a situation like that, it's like, I just need to show them that I'm hustling all the time. So like I, I stepped up my songwriting and I was writing more and sending them more material and taking as many meetings as I could and just being a sponge when they told me like at one point he was like, Hey, I have this, this female writer that I've been working with for a while. And like, she's doing this, like, um, more like soul style pop. And he was like, I just really like her voice is perfect for pop. I'd love to hear her do a pop song. So in my head, I was like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to work with this girl. We're going to write a straight pop song. I'm going to send it to him. And I did that. And I knew that was one of the moments that he was like, Oh shit, like this 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 dude's like serious about what he's doing. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that are getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy-to-understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. 
So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. this guy's thinking he's got his his head on on some good shoulders or a good head on his shoulders yes sir so what was that moment like when you you know you got the call or whatever and it was it's like hey we're gonna sign you to this artist development thing and and go forward uh that's a great question man i'm trying to like keep my my swag as a hip-hop artist but i was fucking running up and down the streets like crying my eyes out calling my parents and my brother like yo this shit's really happening like i'm like the dream you know my mom would always call me and she's from South Boston. Like, Brian, when you need to go back to college, you need to go back to college if you want to be successful. And it's like, I was like, mom, like following a dream and doing what I love. And the, the day I got to call her and be like, Hey, this is happening. Like I'm saying, you know, for her, it was like Blake Shelton and Kelly Clarkson being on the voice and stuff. She's like, Oh my God, you're going to be with them. She gets to tell all her friends. And yeah. it was amazing, man. It was, uh, it, it was such a special moment for me. It was just crazy. Like all the, the hard work paid off and, and, you know, my, my dream, you know, was coming true. And then that quickly went away and I was like, Oh shit. Like I need to get my game face on now. Time to get to work. Right. Yeah. For real. So, and that was after like three years, you said, right. Of, of being in Nashville working and, and, you know, going around. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. What were you doing in the time in between getting to Nashville and, and kind of getting that, that break? Uh, serving tables, drinking a lot, writing and playing as many shows as I could. And I ended up before all that happened, I ended up working with this country artist named Ricky Young. He had a song with a hip hop artist named Bubba Sparks. Mm-hmm. And I ended up connecting with him and, and going on the road with him and like tour managing for them. And, uh, and then doing Bubba Sparks' part at the shows. And that tour literally was like one of the biggest like game changing moments for me because I got so, you know, it was my first time touring on a bus and I got so caught up in the partying and drug use. And, you know, I had a girlfriend of like three and a half years at the time. And, you know, she was back in Nash. I was on the road. And, you know, I ended up two days in a row just, just like blacking out on, on alcohol and drugs. And I cheated on her, which was like against one of my number one morals uh, for myself. And... Uh, I got cheated on when I was younger and I was like, I, I will never, you know, that pain stuck with me for so long. I was like, I'll never, I'll never create this for someone else. Mm. And then here I am on this bus tour and I ended up doing that to her. And I woke up from that like a month later and I was like, man, I, I need to, I need to clean my, my act up. So I, I ended up like quitting drinking and doing drugs for close to four years while I just maneuvered my way into, you know, creating a a platform for myself to live on. And that decision was huge for me. And like, I, you know, I was, I was 
I was able to step back and realize like I needed that at that time because I was just too caught up in that and my focus wasn't with my music. Hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a wake up call for sure. Absolutely, man. It was rough. So, I mean, at least you're getting like steady work at that time. Like I know a lot of people go to Nashville, they've got the same dream. <laughs> I'm going to make it. And then a year goes by, two years go by and nothing's, nothing's landed yet. And it's like, yeah, did the, did you ever have a time when it was like you know I've got to like follow my mom's advice, go go back to college and get a real job? I won't do the South Park, <laughs> but <laughs> um, there's been times I, I still have those thoughts today, man. Yeah, like I, I I think a lot of songwriters and artists and creatives, you know, we all share the same thing about being our own worst critic and. As much as, you know, I truly believe that it's a belief in self and, you know, manifesting what you want in your life, there are times when three different things all go wrong and, you know, you're like, should I be doing this? Or like, should I go back to school and, and, and just just grind it out? You know, and uh, but at the end of the day, that's just the, the that little voice in the head and, and uh I shut that up pretty quickly because I, I just truly believe that I, I don't think I I could do anything else. Like I think I'm here to do this, and uh, and that's what I, that's what I end up always reminding myself. Yeah, yeah, I hear that a lot. Where it's like this is the only the only thing I'd, I'd want to do or and can do. <laughs> not not to say it's like there you don't have any other skills, but like you know that's the only thing that's that makes sense for me. Absolutely. So what happens after you you get signed to this uh, this deal and you start um, kind of working there and you you like you say you got got your game face on it's like all right time to go to work. I started writing even more, and I ended up starting to I had a band in Nashville and we started touring a bunch, and things were things were going well with the the management company. It was tough because I thought when I signed to them that, you know, all of a sudden they were going to take that huge weight off my shoulders and I could just be a creative uh-huh. and make music and perform. And what I didn't, you know, realize until later on was, you know, the, it was very much still in my hands to create the opportunities and make stuff happen. And so they, they like, they gave me a manager, but my manager was also doing day to day for, for Blake and Kelly. And so you know, needless to say, she she didn't have a like a lot of time to really put into to stealing oceans, and she uh, she was it was more reactive management than proactive. Uh-huh. Uh, meaning, you know, I would bring her stuff that would need to get done, but I was the one creating the opportunities, and it had nothing like she's like my day one homie. Like I had nothing to do with her. She's one of the hardest working people in the industry that I've known. But when you have, you know two artists that are doing arena tours each year and on the voice and you're doing a lot of the day-to-day stuff for that. Like obviously you're spread pretty thin from the get. And so that was an eye-opening experience for me because, you know, I kind of sat back and didn't focus on that stuff for, for a good like six months. And I was like, wow, like I I need to take this over if anything's going to happen. Yeah. And so that was one of the biggest things I learned. And then just realizing it kind of, very similar to that. It's like, I, regardless of, you know, being signed and with a label and management, it's like, I still create my own destiny and 
I create, you know, what I want. I get to, I get to manifest what I want for my career. So I, I, I worked with them for it's probably close to three years. And then, um, it just got to a point where I was still doing the brunt of the work and we were just on different pages and they, you know, they didn't necessarily know what to do with a hip hop alternative hip hop, you know, mixed with pop artists. Uh, they'd never worked with someone like me before. So at the end it was like, we, we both agreed to, to go our separate ways. Um, cause we, you know, we realized it's just the, we kind of reached the potential of what we could do together. And mm. then it, it got to a point where there, you know, we were holding each other back in a sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, um, it's probably good to make that call, you know, earlier rather than later before things get too far down a path and relationships sour and stuff like that happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is that like up to current day? Yeah, that was like probably like six months ago. Okay. So yeah, so I spent six more months in, in Nashville, ended up splitting ways with my, the band that I had playing with me there. And at that point, it's like, I left the label, I left the management, I left uh, the band. And it was like, I, I have no ties in, in Nashville besides a girl I, I had been dating. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I made the, decided to make the move to LA. So is that kind of like a career move? I mean, hard to say a career move, but is it like a, you did that because you feel like there's more opportunity for you in LA than there is in Nashville. You kind of tapped Nashville and you're ready to move on. Yeah. That's a good way to put it, man. I tapped Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I feel like I, I you know, I kind of reached like a, a ceiling in Nashville mm-hmm. one, like on the industry side, but two, in terms of like working with different writers and producers, I was traveling out to LA to work with people because I liked working out here more than I did there. And, you know, my genre kind of exists in Nashville. It's slowly coming up and there's some killer artists there, but obviously it makes more sense in LA. And I'm also more inspired here, you know, with the name stealing oceans, obviously you can assume that I love the ocean. It's my favorite place and uh, I find peace there. And it's one of my favorite places to go and, and write lyrics and, so LA just, it made total sense, especially cause you know, it's, it's my genre, you know, lives here, it's yeah. here in, in New York and a little bit of Atlanta, but, but what I'm doing just my best crowds had always been in California too. So yeah, it makes sense. And, uh, being in a landlocked state, it's kind of hard to find an ocean nearby. Ooh, it was rough, man. <laughs> yeah. Percy priest Lake, man. That was about it. That was your spot. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even call it my spot, but it was a spot that I had to go to. It was like pontooning, man. It was ridiculous. So country. Yeah, so now you're kind of surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded, like, uh, you know, same genre. Nashville, I mean, I guess Nashville is very, it is like kind of the heart of the music industry in a lot of ways, but it's still very much like a country town, right? It is, it is. But they're growing. I mean, you know, uh, Scooter Brown just acquired Big Machine. And so they're, the pop... And other genres are, are starting to really blossom there. But, I mean, it has nothing on L.A. Yeah. for that stuff. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the business aspect of music. And you said you kind of got into it with a company you're working where you, uh, you, you couldn't just be the creative sitting behind the keyboard or sitting behind the microphone, you know, belting out some stuff. You also had to be the one that was kind of like making decisions, creating opportunities for yourself. So, like, what, what are your kind of main ways of doing that? Like, how do you 
you know, find opportunities? How do you capitalize them on them the most? Um, like what are your kind of go-to methods for that? It's a really good question, man. You know, in today's music industry, it's like, there isn't that, that separation of creative and, and business, right? It's like, you know, people are very much, they, they play all the, all the different roles, especially independent artists. Like, you know, you're, you have to be your own booking manager. You have to be your own business manager. You got to get a tax person and it's not all creative stuff. It's not all sitting behind the microphone. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I think for me, it's just always been, you know, the mentality of like, I got to be doing something because there is no, you know, playbook on, on how to become a successful artist in the industry. But a lot of, you know, at least from my start in Nashville, like it was just throwing myself in situations and just learning from that. And so actually, you know, moving to LA, my homie, actually, the one I was talking about from boarding school that taught me how to rap, we talked on the phone a couple of days back and he gave me like an ego check. He's like, you know, you're in a new city and he's like, you got to start from the bottom in the city. He's like, even though you've been you know, playing major festivals and doing all this shit, he's like, start hustling from the bottom. Hmm. And so in my head, I'm like, you know, I played Kaboo Music Festival out here last year in San Diego and, you know, we had 1500 people at the show. It's like, in my head, I'm like, oh, like I'm, this is the norm for me. And then I had this talk with him. I realized like, man, yeah, it'd be good for me to just put myself out there, right? Like while I'm getting my writing and business work done during the day and then at night, instead of, you know, just going to see a show or, or whatever, like go play an open mic and just put myself in those positions where, you know, I'm continuing to learn and network and grow and, and discover new things, you know, try out new songs and, so that that side of it where it's like just throwing myself into things and then you know rather than because a lot of like i feel like i struggled a lot for a little while because i would sit back and like try to make the master plan of what should happen yep and that that was never that never worked for me but when i've just thrown myself into everything that's when things started to happen things would fall in place and then a plan would generate through that and so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I put aside like, you know, in, in the mornings, um, depending on if I have a tour coming up or anything, you know, that's when I do all my emails and connecting with people. And then, then during the day is usually like, you know, during day, nighttime is songwriting. And then like at night when I'm just laying in bed, I'll like just kind of cruise through and try to find other opportunities and, and ways to connect with people. And then also spend some time, you know, just doing promotion on the internet and like Instagram and stuff, just reaching out and connecting with people and spreading my music. Yeah. Interesting. A lot of people I hear kind of split up their day that way where they, they have blocks for, you know, this is where I'm reaching out to people. This is where I'm doing some business. This is where I'm creative. This is where I'm in the studio. And uh, they split it up that way. It seems to work. It does. Yeah. And I actually like to like spread everything out, like literally in my, like my studio is in my, my living room. And so I'll literally have my computer set up. I'll have my notebook set up. I'll have like a, a track going. I'll have the piano on. And then if I smoke weed, like my ADD is at like a whole new, like all time high. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just literally like I have stations and I'll just bounce from each station. Like once I lose inspiration, I'll bounce to the next station and catch a vibe on something. And then once I lose inspiration on that, I bounce to the next one. And I mean, if I should put like a, I should do like a time lapse in here because I'm sure it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Throw a GoPro in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Something else that you say is that's interesting is the you know coming at it from like the top down approach. Like here's the master plan. Like it all looks good on paper, but 
it's like it's it's really fragile. It's like if one thing doesn't work, then it whole like the whole thing collapses. And it seems like yeah. a, a lot of music creatives and musicians that are in similar position to you are like that take that approach of you know never saying no in anything, always trying something new, always acting like no one has any clue who you are or really cares about you at all. You know, like taking that approach and and being open that way is really um, like a robust way to to go at it. It's like because if if one thing doesn't work, that's all right. You just move on to the next thing, right? Absolutely. And that, and that takes away ego, right? And like ego is one of our worst enemies. You know, I, I could easily walk around here and be like, yo, I played I play Bonnaroo this year. I played Kabo. Like I should be playing at the Troubadour and, and just have this like I'm better than other people around me. But that doesn't serve me. What served me is, is being grateful and having gratitude and being open to all different – because that's the thing. Like the, the industry is such – a whirlwind like it's like you can't you can't just like be like this is my plan and 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 i take that back actually i I do think like i have some friends who have you know created their structure and their plan and they stuck with it and they ended up you know getting a deal and and it worked for them um so i once again i guess there's no necessarily right way to do it but i think i think part of that is though like once you make a plan you always have to be opening open with this industry to altering it and changing it because you know even just the industry itself changes you know every six months like there's a new you know it's if it's not twitter it's instagram and if then it's not soundcloud then you're on something else and it's like always something new and you know you have to adjust to make it work yeah yeah speaking of twitter and instagram what are like some of the ways that you find work best for you like meeting people and uh kind of networking as a as a musician I mean, one of my main things with, with Instagram has always been, you know, stay engaged with, with my fan base mm-hmm. and, and just always, you know, letting them know that how important they are to me because it's, you know, we all have a desire to, you know, have hundreds of thousands of followers and it's easy to, you know, have that goal and just look outward and continue to grow and, and trying to reach more people. But what I've learned is, you know, doing calls to actions with, with the P like my core fan base, the people who have been to shows, they believe what I'm doing. Like they're emotionally invested in it. That's my street team. And that's like, like igniting that group to be, you know, my promotional team is what's helping things grow um, so just stay in touch with them when they message me, I'm always, I'm always talking to them, let them know I'm always here for them, no matter what they're, you know, cause a lot of my music's, you know, talks about, it just talks about, you know, positive, uplifting stuff, struggles I've been through and always finding, you know, gratitude. And, and so I have a lot of people who fans who follow me and, um, you know, they, they reach out and tell me they're struggling with stuff. And, and I always, you know, make sure that I set aside time to, to be there for them and help in any way that I can, or just be someone to listen. But outside of that, I mean, I just try to be as active as I can. I I personally, like I struggle with social media. Um, it's, you know, it's in a lot of ways, a highlight reel. And I think it really messes with a lot of people's mental health. And so it's, it's not something I necessarily get excited about. Um, but I know it's important for my career to be engaged and involved. I just try not to take it too seriously. Yeah. And like you say, it's easy to get anchored and see people with hundreds of thousands of followers, but 
yeah, it's important to, to do that work and really connect with the fans like you're talking about. It's like Kevin Kelly says, you only need a thousand true fans to really make any kind of success. So you got to build that, you know, brick by brick, brick by brick, then, uh, you know, you can really build something uh, special out of that. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things I've learned is we, you can't compare yourself to, you know, speaking of the, the accounts with hundreds of thousands and all that stuff is, you know, I used to always, and I still, like, I still have to like silence those thoughts, but I, I compare myself all the time mm-hmm. to other, to other writers, artists, you know, and that all that does is just fill me with anxiety and doubt yeah. when I've learned like the best thing I can do is just compare myself to myself, if that makes sense. And, uh, and so like with my numbers, you know, on song releases and stuff, I released a song a few weeks ago and it's doing better. Like the numbers aren't where I want them to be, but I have no label. I have no distribution. I have no, you know, no one giving me money to put behind these songs. It's all organic and my fan base and I'm grateful for that. So when I was with the label, you know, I was able to, they were going to put a thousand to a thousand to five thousand dollars behind a song, and that would give it a huge jump from the get go. And now I'm not seeing those numbers at the beginning now because I don't have that money. But rather than comparing my numbers to those, I'm comparing them to the releases that I've put out since I left the label. Mm-hmm. And the growth is there, and I'm grateful for that. And and it saves me that you know, mental struggle of comparing myself to those old numbers when I'm just comparing myself to, you know, the last each victory and just trying to one up the last victory. And how do I do that? How do I get better and better? Yeah. Changing that frame is really important. And it's so easy to, to compare yourself uh, these days with, you know, the, the barrage of social media. Um, and <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I don't know, man, like the organic, listening uh that people do is is kind of magic because like every you know you may see a song and it has like five thousand ten thousand listens and it's like well you know i'll see other songs with a hundred thousand or however many um so it's like not doing that well but you got to think like that's five thousand people individually that's like have clicked on this song and played to it and listened to it um you know at least a portion of it at least but like you know that's that's five thousand votes as opposed to to someone uh, putting it on the radio and just one person had to say, yeah, let's put this song on the radio and, and spin it. Um, I think that's yeah. really special and really kind of magic about what's changing the music industry right today. Absolutely, man. It's uh, yeah, it's cool. And we have more access to people, right? Like I, I hear, uh, and I used to complain as well about, you know, how oversaturated the market is and all that stuff. But really like we are so lucky in today's age that we have the access to people that we do around the world to be able to, to spread our music easier rather than back in the day, you know, it's like you, you needed a label for the distribution because you weren't going to be getting your, your physical CDs or uh, vinyls outside of the city you were living in. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely, it's definitely changing fast, but uh, probably for the better. We'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What, what else do you have planned for the future? What's coming up for you? Just, uh, just a lot of studio time right now. Yeah. Working on the next project and hopefully, you know, be done with a lot of it by the springtime and hitting a lot of, uh, festivals next summer. Nice. Yeah. You got some time to plan before that, uh, that season kicks back up again. Yeah. And actually, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're in the process of planning a Colorado tour um, in uh, in the spring, I believe. Oh yeah, we'll have to hit us up, and we'll we'll come to a show. 
It'd be awesome, man. Cool, man. Well, miss, it. miss being there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's uh, winter's about to hit us, but uh, it's been great talking to you. And I'm glad you could, uh, you know, come on and share your story. It's, uh, you know, every every single person we talk to is different. So uh, it's uh, it's been great to hear you. Thanks, Reed, man. It's uh, it's been an honor. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. on Instagram to keep up with what he's working on and what he's releasing. Find those links in the show notes. You can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes in your podcast feed every single week. Feel free to share with a friend too if you have found a good story on here. We'll have a brand new story next Tuesday when we release a new episode. Subscribe to get that right in your podcast feed and we'll see you then.